Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 259 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis. Today, we're going to be going over an unusual clinical presentation of leg pain. We're going to be discussing the case of a 41 year old female runner with leg pain and numbness. We're going to review her subjective history, go over an orthopedic clinical exam, discuss the findings that we have, and talk about how to manage this particular situation and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors, MedBridge and Robin Healthcare. You go into clinic every day to practice at the top of your license and provide the best care to your patients. Yet, four out of five orthopedists say that note-taking is interfering with patient care. Robin is here to change that. Robin provides ambient virtual scribing that's designed exclusively for orthopedics. Its Robin Assistant device ambiently captures your visits, so you can focus on patients, and Robin Virtual Scribes can deliver more complete clinical notes and codes to your EHR. Visit robin.co OEP. That's robin.co OEP to learn more. At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. Welcome back, everyone. So these are so hard to title because it would really give away everything so early. And I know how much you love the challenge of trying to figure out the diagnosis without seeing the patient and without touching them and going through all of the special tests. Um, but I'm going to try to describe this situation as well as I can and uh, see how you make out as you go along. I want you to, uh, you know, as I mention some of the subjective findings and some of the objective findings. I want you to be thinking in your head, you know, what would you test? What would you not test? Um, what direction are you heading in with your uh, proposed diagnosis? So think about that as you go through. But before we get started, I want to thank Tracy, the young lady who is uh, allowing us to talk about this issue of hers. And, um, you know, bring this situation to all of you so that we can all learn from this. And she was very gracious about uh, allowing us to spread the word about uh, this particular scenario. Um, so I can't take all the credit for this evaluation. Okay, she was first seen by Matt, one of our senior therapists in uh, in an office of ours, and um, you know asked my opinion, kind of a second opinion. We do this a lot. We we uh, from clinic to clinic. We have six clinics. We consult with each other all the time. Sometimes we will refer one of our patients to one of the other therapists just to get a second set of eyes, um, and then consult about how to get this patient better. So we do this an awful lot, um, and it's and it's very helpful. And you would think that the patient would think that maybe you don't know what you're talking about if you're needing a second opinion, um, but it's really not that. Most of them will say, wow, I really appreciate you taking the time to put a second set of eyes on this and um, to really do your best to help me out. And they appreciate that um, more than you trying to do the job by yourself even if you may not know the answer uh, or the diagnosis. So um, very helpful to collaborate and communicate with some of your coworkers and other people in the healthcare profession. Uh, so let's dig into the history a little bit here. 
41-year-old female, competitive runner, you know, running 70 to 90 miles per week and then occasionally uh, upping herself to 100 to 120 miles per week. Over about a six-month period, she started to develop some increased left thigh pain, anterior thigh. If she pushed hard, it would go into her calf. She'd also develop some numbness into that leg. Her sensation was that of a, an achy throb. And uh, it would start two to three minutes into her into her run. So think about this. She's running 70 to 90, up to 100 miles a week. And every two to three minutes, it starts to bother her. That's quite a nuisance. Um, the surfaces did not make a difference. So it didn't matter if she was running on grass, gravel, hot top, a treadmill. Um, she states that after two to three minutes, she would stop, do some stretches. And she uh, stated that that would seem to help. Um, she did not have any symptoms whatsoever at rest, none when she's sleeping. Four months ago, she developed a calf strain and was out of running for six weeks. Um, when she returned back, she started to increase her mileage again and developed a stress fracture in her right fibula. Now, during this time, she had no left leg pain whatsoever while she was kind of you know resting from running and uh, taking it easy. She had no nighttime discomfort, no bowel or bladder dysfunction, no groin pain, no cramping in the leg. Um, she... Um, had for some reason a cardiac workup. Uh, this this gal is in great shape, but uh, was having some issues. Heart rate was you know kind of climbing pretty quickly, uh, unusually during her run, and um, so uh, she she had a stress test done and was not able to complete the stress test secondary to her um, left leg pain. But they felt that you know other than uh, than the leg pain, her heart was fine, and so. Uh, some of the other reported findings were that uh, running uphill was worse. She, When I asked her, do you ever have a heavy feeling in your legs? She said, yes. Does it ever feel tight? She said, yes. Um, she states that um, she gets significantly worse when her heart rate is over 130 beats per minute. So there's a direct correlation between her heart getting to 130 beats per minute and increased pain in her leg and increased disability in that leg, the inability for her leg to be able to propel herself well. She'd lose control of it a little bit. Um, she does well with biking. She can push pretty hard with biking until she flexes forward um, and leans forward. Then that increases her leg pain. So during this uh, initial evaluation, uh, Matt thought that there may be some vascular issues going on here. So uh, he did uh, research how to do an ABI. Uh, it's not something we do very often in outpatient uh, sports and orthopedic clinic, but he learned how to do it and um, did that and noticed that hers was decreased on the left side to a significant amount that uh, we should be thinking in the direction of a vascular issue. So when I took a look at her, I noticed that she had, you know, fairly tight hip flexors bilaterally. Her hip joint was clear, so she had a negative Faber, negative uh, Faber test. And uh, I could throw some videos into the show notes so that you folks can take a look at what those tests look like. Uh, but basically cleared the intraarticular part of the hip. Uh, her neuro exam was normal, so she had uh, equal deep tendon reflexes, sensation, manual muscle test, strong as could be. Um, so no asymmetries there. She had no myelopathic signs whatsoever. And um, soon to come, we will be doing some videos on uh, the myelopathic and uh, cervical radiculopathic uh, uh, clusters. So that will be coming soon. 
she had um, a fairly neutral foot arch. Uh, you know, if she was having right leg pain, then I'd really be looking at, you know, when she runs on the road, if she's running on a cambered surface, you know, that uh, arch collapses more, the knee goes into more valgus, the glute med works a lot harder, the IT band gets more stress, um, you know, and that could uh, affect it. But it's really her left leg, so that is on the opposite side of the camber, and we see very few uh, issues when people run on a cambered road on that side. Okay. Um, I did some selective tissue tension testing. So basically stretching, uh, neural tension, um, and of the whole lower extremity, low back, evaluated her low back. She was fine there. Um, so what we did was, um, you know, it, we figured it's time to reproduce this pain. So we put her onto a treadmill, took a video camera and uh, put it on her. While she was running, uh, we checked her pedal pulses before she got on the treadmill. We checked the color of her legs, and uh, her resting heart rate was less than 50 beats per minute. Uh, and she recovers really quickly after her run also. So we put her on the treadmill. We had her start jogging. At about five minutes, her symptoms started to increase, especially in the anterior thigh. Her complaint was a tightness and heaviness in her leg. Um, it didn't follow any particular dermatomal pattern. Uh, and uh, like I said, it started more anterior thigh. We then inclined the treadmill and immediately saw a significant increase in pain and numbness and heaviness throughout the left leg. She was starting to lose control of that left leg. So I had her kind of push through it and really work hard at, at just digging in and getting through it. Uh, and we did notice that there was a, a correlation between her heart rate getting to 130, 135 and a significant increase in pain. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. We stopped the treadmill, and whenever I test for vascular stuff, I always tell them ahead of time. While they're on the treadmill, I'm talking to them. I'm observing their gait. Uh, I listen to their gait, but I, I prep them. I say, as soon as we turn the treadmill off, you're going to hop on a table. You're going to take your shoes and socks off really quickly, as quickly as you can. And so she did that. We stopped the treadmill, um, got her on a table, shoes and socks off, and um, she had a decreased dorsalis pedis pulse on the left side. Her left foot was cold and white uh, compared to the other side. And she even had some extensor halysis uh, longus weakness and a little dorsiflexor weakness. Everything recovered in about 10 minutes. The color came back. She had better capillary refill. Uh, her strength was equal. Her pulses were equal after about 10 minutes. And then the, the pain and the numbness all went away. So with this presentation, you know, early on, we needed to make sure that she didn't have some sort of, um, you know, uh, a neurological issue, okay, because we see this quite often in people who have uh, neurogenic claudication or lumbar spinal stenosis, we have to be suspicious of a vascular issue. There was, number one, no distinct dermatomal pattern. Her complaints were heavy, achy, cold. Um, even at one point, she said her leg felt like it was dead. Um, her leg was white after running and after we stressed it. She has symptoms both running and on the bike. You need to remember that that's very important in identifying the difference between neurogenic and vascular claudication because we could reproduce both of them really easily on uh, the bike and the treadmill. It's more likely to be vascular. People who have neurogenic claudication, when they flex forward, usually have decreased symptoms, okay? So they usually get better. The other thing that we need to be concerned with is that there's no impact on the bike. So as far as biomechanically speaking, you know, some people might think, well, she had a tightness here, she had a tightness there, she had an imbalance here or there. Um, 
when we put it on the bike, you really have a, a totally different picture here because we're not impacting the floor. Okay, so a uh, total different mechanism here. So we need to be thinking more in a direction of vascular. We saw a decrease in our pulses. Neurologically, uh, we did a full screening, both for myelopathy and for radiculopathy. She had none of that. Her hips are perfectly clear. Uh, no obvious signs of spinal stenosis. Um, and so, you know, with that, you know, being part of that, we need to be thinking vascular. The other thing that's very interesting here is that her heart rate issue, okay? I don't really believe that it's when her heart rate was at 135 that she started to develop the pain. I think that what happened is she started to have some vascular uh, and venous compromise. She wasn't getting good blood flow return to her uh, heart. And uh, therefore, as a result, her heart is just working harder to get blood flow through her body. Okay, just like when you do blood flow restriction. Okay, there's less of a venous return, uh, and as a result, the heart has to pump a little bit more. Okay, to help relieve that ischemic type of feeling that she's having. So I think it's kind of just the opposite. Uh, less blood flow to the heart, heart rate goes up. It just happens that she's becoming ischemic, so um, it all kind of fits together. Uh, you know, running uphill is worse. That's very common with people who have, you know, uh, iliofemoral artery type uh, problems. And then, uh, you know, impact is not a factor here. So, um, you know, our, our conclusion was after putting all of this information together was that she had something going on with her external iliac um, artery either endofibrosis or vasospasm, uh, basically just not allowing blood flow to get through there. Um, so, you know, we are, that's our guess right now. We are not vascular specialists as outpatient physical therapists, but I think the most important thing we need to remember here is that we're able to give the patient a little bit better direction, okay? Um, you can treat this in therapy till you're blue in the face. I don't think it's going to get better. Uh, I think that she has a structural problem. So we referred her to a vascular specialist, and that vascular specialist agrees, thinks that this is a vascular nature, um, most probably an external iliac artery endofibrosis, um, and so now we have taken her treatment and really directed it, um, targeted it a little bit better. And we're going to save her a ton of time. We're going to save her a ton of um, you know, expense on diagnostic imaging that she's not going to have to have. Uh, we don't need to rule out her back and do anything like that. Uh, but I think she's, she's going to get better. And she's probably going to need surgery for this. And uh, But that is uh, yet to be seen. And so she's going to be meeting with those folks again, making some decisions on where to go from there. But I think in order to continue at the level that she's continuing at, I'm probably going to require some surgery to allow better blood flow to that leg. It's, uh, it's as simple as that. It's no different than crimping the gas line between your gas tank and your engine. Uh, if you crimp that line and you step on the gas and there's no fuel coming to your engine, your engine's not going to work. It's not going to be able to push you forward. Okay, so um, with that being said, folks, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's mystery diagnosis. I know I've gotten a lot of response from folks who uh, who like this type of uh, podcast. So we're going to throw them in every once in a while. We've got some more interviews coming. Uh, please uh, take the time to rate us and review us on Apple Podcast. That really helps us to redirect how we do our podcast. Be sure to tell your friends uh, about OEP and uh, subscribe so that uh, you get notifications every time we put out a new podcast. And as always, be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.